0: the truth should we or should we not follow the advice of the galactically stupid maybe maybe not maybe fuck yourself you're all a bunch of fucking assholes you know why you don't have the guts to be what you want to be you need people like me you need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say that's the bad guy clearly don't know who you're talking to so let me clue you in I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No, I am the one who knocks. everybody to another episode of the Righteous Prick Podcast. I am your host J.L. Covan. It is high noon in Bloomfield, New Jersey on Sunday, April 3rd in the year of our Lord 2022. Just got out of uh, church uh, and ate some walnuts. And now I have some hot green tea with matcha, which is supposed to be good for you or, you know, turn you into pretentious dick one way or the other. Uh, I'm, I'm down for it. Tea break, and uh, I said, you know what? It's a cloudy, rainy day in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Instead of going uh, to Starbucks to read, where I can often be tempted by pastries, I said, let me come home and have some walnuts, aka dried forest feces, with some green tea, and uh, just you know, continue the rebuild of the knee, which is incredibly sore. Which is, I shouldn't say distressing, but it's a month later. And I can basically walk normally, but walking downstairs still hurts my kneecap. And I don't feel like I'm anywhere close to sort of like power walking like a, like an old lady in the 80s or uh, jogging. But uh, I'll talk to the doctor this week just to make sure I'm on the right path. The, the early exercises he gave me, I'm, uh, I'm acing them now. So those are that's a good sign. But, you know, it'd be nice to now, since I had the knee surgery, to start walking without any pain or fear. And then hopefully start running, and then start sprinting, and then have a heart attack before I turn forty-five um, because I'm a large person who thought they could still be an athlete. So on that cheerful note, let's kick off the podcast, guys. I don't know where to start because this is a this is my birthday month. It's my birthday, bitches, and. Uh, <laughs> I have a lot of uh, kind of self-serving announcements, more so than normal, this month, so I hope you'll indulge before I get into the, the meat of the episode. Um, first off, uh, filmed the first two episodes of JL's Book Club uh, this uh, yesterday, and I got to say, um, it gave me great hope because uh, they're really good. Um, they're fun. They're funny. It's in my, my home office. I, it's, it's just, it's a funny setup, I think. And, you know, one of the reviews is really funny and one of the reviews is sort of serious. And I hope that, you know, if you're a fan of this podcast, that's, I guess, going to be the tone at least of stuff like that. But I've done the first two book reviews. Um, on April 16th, I'm filming, uh, The Exorcist Joel Osteen reboot, though I am still unfortunately in the process of casting, um, the mom and Reagan, which obviously if you treat it like SNL, I don't need an actual little girl to play Reagan. I just need somebody to play a daughter in the sketch. So hopefully this week, I will be able to lock down casting for, um, um you know, those two roles. Uh, I used to have no problem, but that was when I would have constant contact with like comedians, uh, throughout the city and was doing sketches regularly. So I'm going to have to hit up some of my old cast members and hope that they're willing to come out to Jersey for a, for a, a Franklin, but, uh, yeah, it's just par for the course, right? Like even with a huge reach now in terms of my YouTube channel and my, my stuff, still difficult to get anybody to do anything with me apparently in the comedy business. So, um, we're not going to go down that path. We're going to try and steer clear of that path. Tea break. Um, cause it's not helpful for any of us, even though it's absolutely honest and baffling. Uh, but, you know, why should the comedy community be any different than the comedy industry? Uh, so that's coming to JL Max Plus Prime. Uh, that will just be a sneak preview. Like the big sketches I do, like the Joel Osteen Exorcist sketch, will just simply be, you know, up on the Patreon early. So you get early access. I can't, I can't just hoard every You know, don't get me wrong. If I had um, 50,000 Patreon subscribers at $4 a pop, yeah, then I'd just be like, nope, not even going to make this video public. Why should I? Just enjoy it. All the people who are giving me tons of money in in, in the aggregate. Um, but obviously, that's probably not going to happen. So for things like the Osteen sketch, that will be early access. Um, Mike Pence Gaming, I will film the first episode um, of that on April 23rd, which is the day before my 43rd birthday. And that's going to be Mike Pence doing... Uh, well, that's just... I've made some selections of video games that I think will be extremely funny, um, and then I will hopefully have a bonus podcast up, uh, either solo or interviewing somebody of, of note in either my life or life in general, um, so that when you sign up, when it launches April 28th, mark your calendars, when it launches April 28th, you'll have four pieces of content ready to go, and I've decided that $4 will be the initial charge. The hope is that hundreds, if not thousands, of fans sign up, which then will not necessitate any kind of increase in price. But, you know, there will probably be a second tier, at least for like live Zoom type stuff added, which will not be above $7. So to start out, $4, and then probably to facilitate any kind of live monthly content, that will be like a $7 level. Unless. Of course, that I get uh, a ton of subscribers, which I hope, but I'm not hopeful uh, for. But that's okay. Not blaming any of you individually, especially the ones who will sign up. But that's the first thing. So that's not anything you need to sign up now. But just mark your JL Covan comedy calendar on April 28th. That's when you'll be able to sign up for JL Max Plus Prime and access, um, you know, a handful of, of good, good, good stuff to to begin uh, to end your month of April and begin your Content journey with me. Um, obviously, uh, well, I, no, I'm not even gonna get into other projects that I'm part of that charge mm-hmm. money. But needless to say, I've I've certainly done my share uh, generously for other people, uh, and uh, you know, now it's if it's not too late, it's time for me to get mine. So that's the first uh, thing. The second thing is, for the second year in a row, I'm uh, I'm an ambassador for Hope for Haiti. Uh, which is a phenomenal charity, you know, a, a, a highest rated charity on, uh, I forget, I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the website, but that sort of does like, you know, unbiased, uh, charity. It's a charity rater or some, whatever the name of the, of the organization is, but it's the, it's got the highest rating. Last year, fans, friends, and family members of mine raised uh, just over Um, $9,000. Now my reach was better. People were more enthusiastic about things I said, I guess. But um, they set that as my goal again this year, and I sort of laughed and said, yeah, right. Um, And it would be fitting, I think you would all agree, if even my charitable reach was lower. They're like, yeah, no, nobody wants to uh, buy JL's content or um, sign him uh, as talent, but it's gotten so bad that even when he just advocates for a worthy charity to help rebuild Haiti after their catastrophic 2021 earthquake, yeah, they don't actually want to be partnered with him in that respect either. Uh, we will gladly give to someone else's hope for Haiti fundraising page, but not JL's. But the point is, uh, I will put a link in the show notes for that. And some of you have already uh, donated, and I greatly appreciate that. But it's uh it's it really is. It's a great charity uh, for obviously a country in need. And usually the funds go to sort of education and healthcare. But this is, um, the you know for obvious reasons. Uh, this year it's it's sort of being diverted entirely to to help with repair, uh, and rebuilding from the earthquake. So that will be in the, in the show link. Um, you know, obviously for selfish reasons, I want to be like, uh, well uh, buy my stuff and donate, but <clears throat> let's be honest. <clears throat> Excuse me. Tea break. The dried forest feces known as walnuts scratching my throat. Um, But if you can only give to one, if if money is limited and you want to do something uh, that makes me look good and helps people truly in need, then obviously prioritize the Hope for Haiti donation. Um, But if you've got money to spare, obviously, this being my birthday month, uh, we'll just rattle off the other ways that you can support me and make me feel slightly better for a few hours. Um, Yeah, if you have anybody has a birthday or an occasion, Easter, Passover, etc. in April, um get a cameo from me for them. Uh, many, 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 many satisfied customers. I'd like to get to 2000 cameos by the end of this year, which would only mean doing another like 290 for the year, which would be, you know, I did a thousand in my first eight months on cameo, but obviously, you know, in the subsequent 16 months, I've done 700, which is still good. Um, but, um, it'd be nice to get to two, is just a nice round number. Um, but yeah, order a cameo. They're they're they are awesome. You can select obviously Trump is the most popular, but needless to say, you can select my other impressions as well as many people have. Um, so order a cameo, buy my albums, mark your calendar for the Patreon four dollars a month, JL Max Plus Prime. Obviously, spread the word if you have friends who like my stuff or you think might like it, or or maybe just don't see my stuff. But that's for the end of the month. You'll be harangued about that later. And the uh, the only other and then hope for Haiti. Um, so I mean, needless to say, I have shows coming up. So if you can buy tickets to those, that goes without saying, but you know what, we're going to say it anyway. Uh, a couple of shows have been added, though they're not on my calendar yet. But if you want to mark your calendar, um, this Tuesday, I'm at Pete's candy store, uh, in Brooklyn, uh, 10, 9 PM show. Um, that's just, if you're in Brooklyn and want a free show, uh, I have a couple other shows that if you you just have to kind of follow me on social media cause they're not, they are like free bar shows. So obviously if you can't make, um, my taping in May, but you want to see me do 10 or 15 minutes, uh, just, just make sure you're checking my Twitter and Facebook, uh, once in a while in case it's not popping up on your feed, which is probably likely. Um, but as far as big shows, um, I got, uh, April 26th at Buffalo helium comedy club. Uh, April 29th and 30th and possibly the first, the D.C. area. There will be a D.C. show Friday, April 29th. Um, That will be in the newsletter that goes out. So I'm not sending out my April newsletter until I have all the details and the ticket link. But April 29th, I will be in Washington, D.C. April 30th, which is a Saturday, I will be in Culpeper, Virginia, which I believe I do have the venue for that. So I will be adding that to my calendar soon, but that will also be in the newsletter and then uh possibly a sunday dc show but i that's that's less likely um but it might happen but basically if you're a dmv person uh you know that weekend i will be somewhere around you and then obviously may 14th kind of a big deal special taping 2.0 triad theater in uh the west 70s in new york city And then, um, is that it? And then Boston, July 15th. Ticket links are up for those two shows um, at City Winery in Boston. So I hope you can uh, make that to all my uh, Boston fans who showed out so strongly uh, last July. So here it is. It's July again, and uh, uh, a new tradition is born. JL comes to Boston. Uh, I don't know what we'll have, a third year, but you know what? Hey, two years, uh, we're building a tradition. So... That is all the annoying announcements. If you're still with me, thank you. I had an April Fool's joke go awry on April Fool's Day. I posted at uh, about 8.50 in the morning, East Coast time. Uh, I just got signed by an agent. What a great day. And I think I may have rephrased it differently on Twitter, like, got signed by an agent, finally, or it's about time. And as social media will do, blew the hell out of that post like of everything i'm always trying to do please come see me do a show come watch this video look at this free content here's a funny joke here's a serious post those all do fine but the first time i share a fucking lie twitter and facebook can't stop fucking having it pop up in everybody's feed just blowing up it's 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 like the trump video all over again except this time i'm making a stupid little lie for april fool's day now my fans sort of combined, uh, two unique traits, a, um, a gullibility and an inability to take, to understand, to get jokes. (coughs) Fucking walnuts are raping my throat right now. Jesus Christ. Man, don't, don't call walnuts, uh, dried tree feces or forest feces or else they'll fucking start scratching your throat feel like somebody shredded up glass and is trying to kill me through my walnuts. Righteous girlfriend. Is that you? No, she's at work right now. Anyway, she, uh, she's not as pious as me. She works on the Lord's day. Anywho. Um, so, which is tough. Cause if you want to have like designated pornography time, you know, why does it have to be Sunday that the day that I'm all alone in here, you know, that's, it's, uh, it just can never quite work out, can it, folks? You know, the Lord's Day is not a day for porn, but it is a day for solitary reflection because I'm alone all Sunday. And when you're alone all Sunday, as they as the old phrase says, idle time is the devil's pornography login time. Uh, <laughs> anywho, uh So I posted that. No, and I'm just shitting. I like a lot of my fans. I mean, it's a credit to them. They 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 believe in me, they don't understand yet how the business works, or that I have no chance of success. So there was like, a. it's about time you didn't have an agent already. Somebody wrote like, you didn't have an agent when you got billions. And that's the fun thing about my career is this broad assumption that because I've accomplished a good amount, then I must have a normal entertainment career. Um, My logic, which is obviously faulty, is, yes, if I can accomplish more than 40% of the comedians and probably fucking more than that, 60% of comedians with representation, well, then somebody's going to scoop me up and be like, let's put this bitch on overdrive and get this guy to superstardom. Instead, the logic appears to be like, oh, this guy is a dick or looks like a dick or he looks like an angry white guy and we don't need those right now, uh, or he... Uh, he'll probably be difficult or hard to manage because he's already mildly successful without me. So how will I leverage? Uh, how will I leverage my power into a mildly abusive relationship where I can manipulate and control my client? Any of those things could be true, but for some reason I just haven't. You know, and I, uh, I emailed. I think I, I'll give you an update. I emailed multiple. Um, I haven't gotten a return email in in almost a month from an agent that was connected via a friend who was like a personal friend of his. Um, so it's just, it's, you know, that's, I think the fifth or sixth, um, person that I've, you know, not blindly, I'm talking, I've had personal contacts message people over the last year and a half, trying to get me an agent. And it ends up, I, I end up not even having a conversation or a rejection. So it's, it's, I'm not even at the place, like, I'm not yet worthy of good uh, professionalism or manners or courtesy yet in the industry. That's that's what's fun. It's like, I'm not even, I'm just looking to get to a place where uh, I'm dealt with professionally. Even if rejected, I would just like, I will consider it a step up if somebody actually tells me I can't take on a client right now. Or, oh, I looked at your stuff, I think there's potential, but it's not right for us. I'm still waiting for that, for someone to just reject me directly, but instead they just, you know, that's whatever. Uh, so, so fun times. Um, so the joke was, uh, spread like wildfire and, you know, my thinking was, Hey, I posted at 8 50 AM. Does anybody think, do you think I signed with a London based talent agency that's operating at, at that hour? Um, but everybody, I guess, wanted it to be true, which is a compliment in and of itself. Um, and then people tell me things like, oh, you don't even, do you even need an agent? And I'm like, yeah, cause I want to, when I think about comedy and the effort I've put in, I want to kill myself guys metaphor, like, like, like in a, in a, in an artistic way, not in a literal way, but yeah. So I'd say that's a reason to want an agent to maybe, um, just so my station in comedy matches my talent, reach and effort. That's all, that's all I want. i I'm, Um, cause I know it's not right now, um, So when people ask, like, I I don't think people get the business and that's okay, but it's, it's, it's sort of, it's a, it's a fucked up place to be when like your fans know you see that you have a lot of followers, see that your videos were well-regarded, see that you have a lot of talent and then make the kind of assumption that your, your career is skyrocketing and you're like, no, it's, it's actually uh, practically flatlining. So that's, um, I don't know. I don't, anyway, when I was in church today, all I said was, I started thinking about my set, which I try not to do. I try not to think about me. You know what I mean? I do enough of that, obviously. I try not to think of me. Like, can you help me? Can I get... I pray for other people. Occasionally, I pray for my enemies, because I feel like that's both very Christian and very badass. Um, <laughs> now, I don't pray. I don't say for my enemies. I like name names in my prayers, so... Just hope that you're not on that list or hope that you're on that list because I prayed for you. Um, But it's, uh, I try not to think of me when in church, but sometimes my mind just wanders and all I could think was, I I found myself saying the same prayers I was saying last fall, which is, just let the special go well and uh, your will be done, as we say in the Our Father. You know, just if you can please, let me be done with comedy. Like I, let's really, I, I was like, let, let, like, let me, let me finish this sort of maniacal mission that I'm on to just put out a, a shit ton of amazing, funny, original stuff in, in a 20 year, almost comedy career. It'll be 19 years, June 2nd. And if that's it, that's it. Let me just be okay with that being it. Cause I don't think this is healthy for me. Um, It's just, yeah, it's just, it's not healthy. Um, And then I thought of the book reviews and I said, but that shit's so fun. That was so fun. And I hope people enjoy like what I put together there because obviously, you know, but my dilemma is, will my fans even see that? You know, will like a hundred people sign up and only like 5,000 people saw it, but I have this following of like 200,000 people between platforms. Like, I just want to be able to reach all of those people once. And be like, if you like my stuff, this is a big announcement, it's really cheap, and then see see what that gets me, but I can't even get sort of that. And that's, that's a frustrating thing. And then at some point, you just have to say, I can't beat the system. Whatever the system is between social media algorithms and the comedy industry, I've done all I can. Um, but a chump with representation seems to be at least equal, if not superior, to a beast with no representation that's me by the way i'm the beast in that story um so yeah it's so when i'm when i'm like in church i try to like get get this out of my head but i think the only resolution that can calm me is to just say i'm doing the special so let's fucking do it and when it is done let me be at peace with that let me find some peace because comedy and the people in comedy, um, all the and all, here's what you need to know about comedy. Here's, here, I, I, I lament often the comedy community for good reason. It's mainly um, just garbage people. M- the majority are garbage people. And what made me laugh about the Will Smith thing was all the people going, is it going to be open season on comedians now? I saw somebody share a video from like years ago cuz I remember seeing it and I knew this would happen like people for for clout. Then this ties into my argument about social media no longer about being creating content or being original or sharing your art. It's about likes and 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 follows. It's not about like so so I saw a post. I saw this video. I mean, it had to have been Maybe five years ago, maybe more, because it was very distinct. A guy was really attacking the shit, like throwing chairs at somebody on stage. And somebody wrote, like, thanks, Will Smith... And I was like, that is so perfect. That's such a perfect encapsulation of comedians and social media today. So first of all, it's a false video because the video is so old. Obviously, unless this person on stage had a time machine and went five years into the future to watch Will Smith slap Chris Rock, he clearly couldn't have been uh, radicalized. I I mean, Will K, is that a good title for the, for the, Will Kada? I'm calling this episode Will Kada. Let me actually write that down before I have early onset and forget. Will, Will Kada. There it is. Because comedians are going, is it open season on us? No, it's not, because nobody gives a shit about you. Nobody. Like, I have had, you know, a, 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 in many ways, a great two year period for my, especially for where I, I came from in my career. Nobody's coming for me. Fuck. Nobody's coming for you. Like, it's, it's, you know, one in a one in a million chance. This is not, Will, Will Smith has not radicalized comedy audiences. It's not open season on comedians. And yet, that is all you need to really know about the mindset of comedians. That it's like, it's this weird self-centered kind of, how can I make this about me? Um, people have been getting attacked on stage before. It's rare, but it's been happening before. I don't think you're gonna. I think you will see zero point zero percent uptick in this, but you will see a five thousand percent increase on claims that it is happening, as exhibited by the post of somebody sharing a video from years ago and going, "Thanks, Will Smith," and they're not going to disavow that because they want likes, clicks, uh, etc. So, welcome. Well, you know, this is it's sort of a perfect the the, the 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 epilogue to the Will Smith Chris Rock story is going to be just such a brilliant amazing uh example of where we're headed with social media with comedians claim like wanting and that's what comics have in common with like trump voters there's a little bit of a like a like a masturbatory desire to be a victim like that's like one of the things trump supporters love is at the same time that they are Trump is so strong and we're the real America and you can't stop us. And then on the flip side, they're teaching our kids that white people are racist. And I don't know how I explain this to my daughter. They're like this simultaneous, we're the most powerful people, we're the we're the strongest, most righteous people. We're also deeply victimized, but but our victimization is authentic. When other people with real problems and real historical grievances claim victimization, they're actually being weak. Our victimization, super strong. Comedians are the same thing. Comedians share so much of the DNA. The comedy community shares so much DNA with the MAGA movement. Because it's this idea of like, we're the free speech warriors. We're on the front lines. Treat us like heroes. But also, can I blow up an incident that happened into being about me and how I also, while being a righteous, uh, fearless warrior of speech... I'm also fragile and probably going to be a victim very soon. So could you also extend deep sympathy and sensitivity to my journey? This is why I fucking hate the comedy world. Anyway, um, that's all I have to say about that to quote Forrest Gump, a guy who never victim blamed. Thank you, Forrest, hero. Um, so I've plugged all my shit. Um, I have talked again about Will Kata and the comedy world and, um, yeah, so I hope you're enthusiastic about all that stuff that I'm plugging because trust me, the joy for comedy and making people laugh and and engaging with people is not gone. It's just, I, I spit out all the other shit. This podcast is like, is like the, the big black dude in the green mile. You know, it like touches me and I get to like spew out all the bile and black tar from my mouth. And then I get to go back and do comedy and be happy about it. Uh, tea break. Uh, starting to get cold, guys. Yeah, if, if you don't mind, I'm just going to chug the rest of this tea. Ah, God, I feel that matcha. Just matcha, matcha, man. I want to be somebody who eats walnuts for snacks. Um, I had a show last night in the Bronx and I thought one of the comics, this guy, Adam, uh, he made a very funny joke. I had to leave like with a few minutes left in his set just because, and thank God I did because I had a, 45 uh, minute train ride to Penn station follow and to catch like basically the second to last train out of, out of town. And he made a, a funny joke because there were, um, when I started the show, When we started the show, uh, it was it was at a nice bar in um, in the Fordham area of the Bronx, like right near which is such a unique area because it's like smack dab in the in like the middle of Bronx Bronx, like the stuff that, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of parents who who bring their kids to Fordham University in the Bronx and go, "Uh, please stay on campus. (laughs) And they might not be wrong, to be honest with you, in some cases. Um, But. Fordham is, it's a, it's a college, like a full college campus, just plunked right in the middle of like real Bronx. Like Manhattan college is up near where I live and that's technically the Bronx, but it's much more bucolic. Um, whereas Fordham is just like, come to our campus and then, uh, see Dominicans walking their, uh, angry pit bulls right outside. Uh, you know, that it's that kind of, you get a real authentic Bronx experience. Um, but I, uh, Oh, and I had a good joke last night. I said, uh, I know we're not in Washington. Washington Heights is, it's not a stone's throw away it's a, it's a 90 mile an hour fastball from a Dominican away. I think that's how you measure distance in the Bronx. I thought that was funny. But uh, um, I also said that my mom's neighborhood was Manuel Miranda. And yeah, but the, here's the problem, folks. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So I go into the show and I tweeted and shared about it because I was told by the guy running the show um, at 2 PM that the show is still on. He told me like three weeks ago, they're going to move the show from Saturdays to weekdays. So just let me know what day. And then he emailed me, you know, f- f- six hours before showtime. time, uh, show's still on in the middle of the Bronx. Uh, so, and I was like, well, it's weird that you're posting about it, uh, f- six hours before the show on social media. But I did my due diligence. I retweeted. I said, for my Bronx people, if you're looking for a show and you don't like college hoops tonight, so we get there and I look inside and there's a, uh, by when the show starts, there's six people. There were four people having a full conversation in a foreign language. Now maybe they were just nerds having like a, yeah, this is a, when we, this is our Japanese table that we do every Saturday night. And then there was a couple sitting and they seem to be watching. So the host gets up there and does, um, some jokes, um, uh, it's not that I'm against dark humor, but hosting a show, uh, is a different, uh, tone setter. So he walked the table of foreign language speakers. So we were down to two, we were down to the couple and then they, and then three guys came in, uh, two, as it turned out two Fordham students and their friend from Tulane. And they turned out to be really good audience members. And, uh, you know, they they made it. I, I, they don't. They won't listen to this podcast. They probably won't even remember my name or look me up, even though I did have them rolling. But um, it was the classic JL. Wherever two or more, you know, the JL, the JL Jesus Christ method of comedy. Wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I will perform. Uh, these three guys made the trip to the Bronx fruitful for me. No, it wasn't a great show, but they made it worthwhile. And and that I think just that's why comedy is so difficult for me, because I really do. If I make five people laugh, you know, if there's if if there's only five people around and I make them laugh, I go, eh, that's that's worth it. That makes me love comedy. Um it's the business part of comedy that requires the masses. Um and that's the thing. That's the dilemma is that if I was just doing comedy as a hobby. If I had, uh, you know, if I didn't have either the talent or the reach to be kind of professional at this, then I'd I'd be whatever. But I, but but the frustrating thing is that I want to give a hundred percent of my time, of my effort. But when you can't do it full time, and that's the thing. When I say this, fans, of course, will pick up on this. Like I remember, it pissed me off, but I held my tongue last year when somebody said. Oh, you have a day job? Is it? Can you not? Do you not want to go full time, or can you not? And I go by the standards of comedians. I could have gone full time five years ago when I was just making, you know, thirty-five thousand dollars from comedy earnings. That would be enough for most. Me, I just get two roommates and declare myself a comedian and scrounge and scrape and hustle and see what happens. But for me, it's about um, a life. A norm. I want a normal life. I want comedy to afford me the same life that my law firm does. That's what I want. That's that's my definition of being a comedian and being able to have only one job. And I could do that, but it's you know, as we all know, I've talked about this ad nauseum. Uh, it's it's a it's a precarious situation because I feel like my career could either take off this year or fall off completely fall off a cliff. Um, And it's very hard to give up a day job. When you when I did that, you know, over a decade ago, and saw it fail miserably, when I was convinced I was ignorant and, and naive enough to be like, Oh, no, I mean, it's gonna happen for me. Now, I did have a huge boost of success. And it's fading. So this guy gets on stage after me. So the, sh- the set w- went really well. And I'm, I'm actually, I like I said, these guys I'm sure aren't listening to my podcast. But I don't think we thank audience members enough. And these guys came in on a Saturday, probably pre-gaming or whatever. But they were like good audience. They they, they talked a little bit. But that's okay because it's a fucking, there were three comics and three audience members in the room. So it's like if they don't, talk, like they, like that's not a heckle. That's, that, that's the one time where an audience member can actually help the show is if they're more engaged and, and if we're all aware of the surroundings, when there's 250 people in a room and everybody's laughing and one guy is either heckling or offering suggestions or interrupting, that's not helpful. Um, But they were really good. And it it made me just kind of, it was weird. It was just, it, 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 it showed me the hold that comedy still has on me because Whatever psychological reasons, and these play out in my relationships and in my relationship with comedy, but having gone to therapy for Christ a decade now, which is just scary to think of, um, there is this desire to sort of please people and it makes me happy. Um, It really does. The, The business doesn't make me happy, but you know... And even when I did when I did some of my shows that I joke about, you know, I'm not selling a lot of tickets. But that goes away when I'm meeting fans individually because it feels so good when people come up to you and you're like, "I love your stuff," and they they're there, they're spending their money, and you feel like you you they're making me feel good by laughing by by supporting my my live show, and. I feel like I'm doing my my good like by giving them my best effort and making them laugh. I'm giving them something and that it feels it feels very good and, and very my jokes may not always be wholesome, but there is something very wholesome and pure about that relationship between fans of com- real fans of comedy and, and being a comedian um, and also knowing that I'm not a fucking piece of shit hack and that the people who are actually laughing at my stand up are good stand-up fans and not just fucking dorky tools. So there, see how I ended a nice point by being toxically masculine anyway. Um, but the guy, the comic after me gets on stage and man, uh, put this on my tombstone uh, for something that represents my career in a nutshell. And he goes, I'm not gonna do it. In, he has like a kind of a distinct voice, but he, and he, was, he was funny and I've seen him, but it's been, you, you lose track of time. Like I've I've been on shows with this guy before, but it was like you're like holy shit! Has it been years? Christ, time is we're all gonna die soon. Anywho, um, he gets on stage and he was like, "Yeah, no, like in comedy, we all knew like JL blew the fuck up in 2020," and I was like, "Oh, that's nice," like and it was true. And he goes, "So w- when I saw the lineup today, and I saw I was on the show for with JL." I thought oh fuck yeah that's awesome cuz he you know he's going to bring at least four audience members and he didn't and it was weird. We only have three audience members and I laughed so hard because it was like as the expression goes I felt seen. And it was. It was like that's what happens like he he knows that I blew up but he just doesn't seem to realize like me or the world there is some sort of circuit missing from my success and my skills and the career that I'm having. Oh, by the way, on an update, my special, I've sold 28 tickets. Uh, And the special is uh, a month and a week away. So fun times, everybody, fun times. Uh, (laughs) So if you Yeah, you know, once again, I'm sure people will buy late, Uh, maybe it won't sell out. And I'm going to have to get over that. I think I said this last week, but I'm going to have to really work hard to be prepared for that because if that show, if the audience is not shitty because it's going to be good people, but if the audience is small for that show, I'm going to have to really do some like deep meditation backstage because I will go, I already nailed this. I should be either retired from comedy or thriving with a tour coming up and a special that's sold. Not this let's redo the most stressful experience of my comedy life again but so be it. That's where we are. Um, so, uh, I've made all the plugs. I, I, I know people like the reviews at the end. I do have two things to review for you. Um, but yeah, I thought it was just, it was, it was, it was, it was an interesting night. Um, and I, am because of the book review show, I can't talk about the book I just started. Um, I want to honor the the terms of my pay, my forthcoming Patreon but start a new book but I am tempted to talk about it but I can't but it'll just make for funnier $4 content in like late May or early June. Um but yeah, I just uh they won't listen to this but uh those those three guys it's it's it was really it was really kind of kind of cool to just be like, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes audience many times audience can really save a show. And, uh, I felt like they made me feel like it was worth it going up there. Cause I did 20 minutes, a couple of new lines, a couple of old bits, you know, because now I'm in that process of any stage time I can get, got to do it. Um, got to just eat a dick f- in front of small audiences right now. I don't mean eat a dick, like do badly on stage, but eat a dick in terms of my pride. Um, and just be like, Oh, another barely filled room. Uh, just got to muscle through this and, and and believe that the work will speak for itself um, so once again a, a journey of comedy a journey of faith among the faithless that will be my uh, my my memoir that I pitch to uh, Christian groups that will be the comedy memoir I push towards Christian groups. Um, obviously the real memoir will either be called middleman for so many reasons or. Walking on the side. If I'm doing like a cool, uh, book that I want adapted into like an A24 film, it'll be called, um, walking on the side of highways, (laughs) traveling the country as a comedian without a car for two decades, not afraid of possibly getting hit by a trucker. (laughs) Um, I did have a bit, and where was I? Was I? Oh, it was in. It's in the Utah Jazz special. I think. I think that's when I said it, um, where I talked about uh, a, a grandmother, like what with women who've told me stories about fucking Trump, secondhand, like like people stories that have been relayed to me about like he she fucked Trump and she's she fucking terrible, and I um, I just started doing a thing where I was like talking about Adolf Hitler and how nobody bragged about fucking him. Like, people knew that you just keep that to yourself. And then I just said some phrase where I said, like, oh, God, what did I say? It's on that thing, but I—if it wasn't Adolph's mustache, but it was, like, Adolph's lover or something. Uh, something. Something like a funny title, and I just, in the moment, was like, that sounds like an A24 film, doesn't it? And I got a big laugh. Anywho, um, let's do some reviews, okay, guys? But that was, I, I. even though I always sound somber and morose talking about comedy... It's because even the good moments feel bittersweet because it's it's what happens every time I leave a show I'm so grateful because the fan like the fans I have that come to shows are always like so good they laugh a lot they they follow my shit like they they're the, they're the perfect fa- the fans that come to my shows are, are, are the ones that have done what I've hoped to do with more but they they show like they came for the impressions but then they they started watching the stand up or they listened to the podcast and they became they 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 became fully immersed fans and i'm i'm like so deeply grateful for that so when i you know but but at the same time my career can't last and the enjoyment that i think i bring to to plenty of people can't continue if I don't grow that fan base to a bigger level, and I'm not talking about numbers now, I'm talking quality of fan, the fans who, who engage more, who, who are, were curious enough to deep dive and then found this wealth of different content, to use an overused word, and if I, I want to keep doing that, I get something out of that. I feel like my talent is being put to good use and that I am making people happy with it. But without a crit, I can't do it the level I want to. And I think that's the thing that sometimes gets lost on, on more casual fans is this isn't about like, if I don't have fans, I, I don't have self-worth. No, no, no. Comedy is more than a job to me. It is, it is not to sound like Jerry Maguire, but it, it feels kind of like a mission. You know, it feels kind of like a purpose. And it's something that I think I developed as a young kid. Um, to, de- to diffuse, you know, my parents weren't angry at each other or at me, or lashing out when we were laughing, whether it's watching sitcoms or me doing goofy stuff. Humor, laughter was, you know, an early, an early imprint, I think, was that laughter can solve a lot of problems. Um, you know, I was a violent kid, and when the violence went away, comedy, I think uh, I, I sublimated. I, you know, I might have been mean sometimes with my humor, but impressions and things, instead of trying to intimidate or lash out, I felt like I could make people laugh. And that felt, that felt even better. Making people laugh felt even better than like punching somebody. And that that developed there. And in college basketball, I was not you know, I was I, I don't sometimes I don't think I make good first impressions, even when I'm not making a bad first impression. Um, and I have jokes about this, obviously, with people thinking I'm a cop. And I go, well, that explains why they think I'm a racist dickhead. <laughs> they look at me and go, oh, boy, cop. <laughs> but um, college basketball was not liked by my teammates at first. And then I started making them laugh. And all of a sudden, I, I, I was I, I, I felt well liked, or I appeared to be or more liked because I could make people laugh and, and found that as my niche in the in the community, not not as a player, but in the, in the in the fabric of the team, I became the funny guy. Um, and then comedy just, you know, depressed in law school, and comedy in a different new and eventually incredibly painful way became a much bigger focus of my life. It 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 sta- it it may not have cured me of maybe some some depression issues but it sure felt like depression went away for a while and it gave me a thing to feel important and and, and, and it's been this long buildup this long with comedy always saving the day or solving a problem or giving me a new outlet it, it 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 serves it has served a lot of different good purposes in my life but you get to 43 years old I'm about to turn how old am I? I'm 42. I turned 43 this month. Um, you get to that point and it's like, yeah, but now I want this for real. Like, like I I have, you know, I, I want to do this. I want this to be my life. I want this to be my career. Um, and it hurts that I can't feel comfortable enough doing that yet because I know I've got more than enough talent and tools to, to be that already. I should be. And... It's not about necessarily like, oh, well, you know, just do it for the love of it. And it's like, no, but I'm at a level now where like people playing in the NBA love basketball, but you worked, there's a certain level of dedication and hard work that, that surpasses just doing something for love. It, it, a sense of mission becomes tied to it. A sense of, and maybe maybe it's not healthy, but it, but it, but it is a, I want to do this. I don't, if I'm a professional basketball player, I want to do it to the best of my ability. And that means as much effort as I can put while still being happy with my life. And with comedy, I want it to be full time because that's, that feels like the only way I can be content because I'm not content with life, but in some ways, because now I'm not stressing about a day job. And now I know that all my time can be dedicated to this. And now I know my work can be even better. Now I can know that my fans will get the absolute best from me. Like my fans may not have even seen my best yet because I have been forced to be in like a mentally and physically divided in terms of how much I can dedicate to this work. So, so, you know, in a way that's, I think that's another compliment to me is that all this stuff you're seeing is me with divided loyalties and divided effort and divided mental space. Um, you know, so God, God knows how, how good and how much I could be producing if my whole life were comedy, but that's also why I want it to be that good. And so I want to do it full time, but at some point it's going to break me if I can't do it full time, because then all you just keep going is like, that was good. But man, it'd be really great if I could just dedicate like 30 hours a week to writing sketches and scripts and then be touring and having my act get even sharper and sharper and sharper and keep right. Because what I've done, I'm already, I outpace most people in comedy for content, for, for, for skill, and for, for stand-up work. So it's like, it would be nice to be able to fucking do that even more, to know my potential, to, to reach my potential. Because I think right now, my 75% is better than 95% of the people in this game. But I can't get to 100%. And that's the frustrating thing that sort of haunts me, is that am I going to get to know how good and how great I can be? And that sounds arrogant and whatever, and I don't really give a shit, because that is literally what like, is bothering me on this front like my comedy has been this this thing in my life humor has been this thing in my life since I'm a child and it has served so many different purposes and now it just feels like I'm where it has been long and difficult and stressful and but I'm it's it's here it's it's right here and yet I can't get it I'm right there and I can't quite get it and at some point that frustration if, it, if I already haven't reached a breaking point, that frustration is going to be too much to continue with. Like, in other words, I will have to quit comedy because that frustration, that unfulfilled feeling, that, that unjustified longing will be too much to bear to continue trying to get there. So I I guess I think that I think I explained myself well enough there. So let's get some reviews, shall we? Because I got two great things to review. So we we like to I think it always helps to end on the reviews because I'll either be positive or funny. Uh, So that's always a good place to end. But um, the first thing is I just finished. It took me uh, just six days to read because uh, it was a light work week at the firm this week. So Killers of the Flower Moon by David Grand. I'm trying to read it without my contacts right now because it's on my bookshelf, one of my bookshelves. I'm a learned man. Um, great book, great book, uh, loved it. And it's it's one of those things where as I'm reading it, I'm going, it takes place in Oklahoma and it's about this basically, I many of you have probably read it because it's like this This is a book that came out like four or five years ago. It was a number one bestseller. So it's it's one of those kind of popular nonfiction books that, that, that a lot of people read. Um, but I knew they were coming out with a movie or a series about it. And I, I, I man, it was, it was great. It's basically about this, this tribe in uh, Oklahoma. They eventually end up in Oklahoma. But of course, it's, it, you get some history about just how this tribe was mistreated. And like, hey, we'll make a deal with you. Actually, fuck off. You got to move to this territory. And they keep being shoved to different territories. But lo and behold, the territory they end up being on, very oil rich. So then they become super rich. Indians, Native Americans, First Nations people, whatever. And they, look at me, like dismissing their nomenclature. Like, as I'm saying, it's an incredible story about prejudice and, uh, and, and discrimination about uh, our, our continent's first residence, uh, these noble people. Anyway, these fucking Indians. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, and it, it is, it's one of those things I've always said uh, to people during Trump's reign, I said the four things that the Mount Rushmore for me of the worst things that America has done slavery, Jim Crow, native genocide, Donald Trump's election. Now people go Donald Trump's. Yes, Donald Trump's election. They go What about I think the Japanese Americans uh, in World War Two would have something to say. And I go, here's why I disagree with that. As heinous as that is, that's first alter. That's, that's uh, first guy off the bench. Is Korematsu versus United States, but the my thing with Trump was we we did that that was premeditated self sabotage. Franklin Delano Roosevelt didn't um, didn't campaign on segregating and imprisoning Japanese Americans. Donald Trump campaigned on most of his hateful shit, and America went, "Yep, let's do this." So whereas, like I view. I view what FDR did as like constitutional manslaughter, heinous, horrible, disgraceful, a disgraceful period in, in, in our country's history without question. What Donald Trump did in general, his general legacy and January 6th only makes me fucking look better for putting him on the Mount Rushmore of shitty things America's done is it was totally premeditated. He, he, he campaigned on selfishness, hate, division, racism, and America, uh, um, enough of America, said yes, please. So that's why I rank it ahead. Um, I mean, we elected a, fu- a a a traitor, a treasonous piece of shit, slash, sexual assaulting, uh, a, a immoral scumbag to run the country. That's that's despicable. That is, I mean, it's it's fucking despicable. But that aside, that only addresses the first one. Now I had slavery as number one, which I don't think most people would argue with. But part and Jim Crow just terrifies me. But I think if I had Jim Crow two, I might have had Jim Crow three. Uh, After reading this book, you know, like, like most douchebags in America, I read one book. And now I've, I've officially become a woke scholar of the plight of the Native American community. But reading this book, I, and I've read other books, Bob, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, et cetera. I don't know why I said et cetera. I think those are the only two books I've read on on Native American struggles. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was my version of yada, yada, yada. But it's like there is no yada, yada. That's just that. That's it. That's what happened. I read those two books. But what we did as a country to, to Native Americans in this country is has to be actually two. And closer to one than I like one is 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 absolutely the worst slavery like what i mean centuries of importing enslaving creating a a, a, a subclass of, of humans in our country it's a fucking appalling but even though jim crow terrifies me a lot because it was basically like christian it was like Christ, it was christian terrorism it was like we look at like afghan like it was christian terrorism for decades um, fuck it let's just say a century and But that what we did to the name, like, because when I'm reading this book, Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, as I'm reading this book, I'm like, holy shit, this is like a companion piece almost to Watchmen. You know, the Tulsa riots. Because the Tulsa riots was like, all these blacks, they probably used worse language, uh, getting rich and successful. I hate them, and now I hate them more because... They're beating us. They, they took segregation. They took our lemons and made lemonade. So now we're going to burn their lemonade stand down. Um, that's what they were doing to Native Americans. Like in this case, it's about murders, like mass murder of Native Americans because basically it's like, oh, you kept kicking them out. You kept ruining their lives. And oopsies, we've got a thing called oil now. And guess what? All those people... Uh, just by obeying your racist laws are now super rich. And you could see like resentment of people for their wealth. And it it is, it was a quick read. It was a great read. It was incredibly depressing read to me. Um, inspiring in some cases to see that there were good people and, you know, that there were good, righteous people, um, you know, 150 years ago, 100 years ago, um, but, you you know, the prevailing, the prevailing morality was one of bigotry, racism and violence. And it just made me think like, okay, so yeah, what we, um, and you read a book like this and you go, God, and they don't, they, they, they would probably consider this some sort of branch of critical race theory. And I'm just looking at this going, what kind of trash white people ha- did Oklahoma spawn? <laughs> Between the Tulsa race riots and, 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 and the killers of the flower moon, the Osage tribe, what the fuck were, I mean, were these, were, 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 were Oklahoma whites in the 1920s secretly the worst whites in America? <laughs> I mean, can we do some historical, like, because I'm just reading this going like, oh shit, if you had pigment and a dollar bill, Fucking white people in Oklahoma were going to fucking slaughter you. <laughs> God forbid if they saw a black kid trying to sell candy on a trolley. This isn't for no baseball team or no. Uh, what other sports did we have in the 1920s that were? This ain't for no track team or for no Negro. Are you Negro boy? Are you selling candy on our Oklahoma trolley? Burn him and his family, please. Thank you. <laughs> Like, (laughs) it's darkly funny, but like, I'm, I'm not kidding you. I just kept thinking to myself, I'm like, huh. And of course, that was 100 years ago, not 1000 years ago. That was 100 years ago, that shit was happening. But I'm wondering if this book would be uh, banned in certain states as critical race theory, you know, oh, well, it's teaching our, you know, we should be proud of our ancestors and teach patriotism. Um, Okay, but these, these, this, this native tribe should be like, owning the state like they should own the fucking state of Oklahoma. Why don't they? Or is that critical race theory to ask why they were massacred by racist white people and poisoned and murdered? Is that is we can't we just have to say like go go Sooners and uh uh you know attend one Native American cultural event and buy a blanket and then we're we we've done our due diligence on critical race. Okay. Just asking, just asking the questions. But it's a great book. It was a National Book Award finalist. Um I guess in 2017 or 2018 when it came out, but uh, loved it. Very much worth a read, and I'm telling you this because it's not one of my book reviews. Okay, so you'll you'll get the occasional book, but the book reviews are um, just. I'm telling you, if I can maintain the 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 the, the quality level of the first two, you're you're going to really enjoy them. Uh, so uh, another plug for that, and then uh, a review. And I think I may do also either podcasts or videos each month on the Patreon, like where I make like streaming recommendations. I may just sit in front of my TV and like scroll through each streaming platform I have. Cancelled Paramount Plus though, as I told you before. Um, but if I resubscribe, I could just write that off as a business expense. Yeah, I joined uh, Paramount Plus commercial free for the year because uh, I'm a content creator. uh, I watched the series finally. I've had it on my, QA, my list on Amazon Prime for about two years, called Zero Zero Zero. Now, I have yet to start Gamora on HBO Max. I've been wanting to watch that show for literally a few years now, and that is probably going to be May 1st, once I clear up some of the more limited series things I have to watch. Then Gamora is going to become like the spring-summer long watch, because there's five seasons with 12 episodes each. But from the same writer who wrote the book Gamora, which I didn't really, to be honest, enjoy, but obviously it was, it was like, he had to go in hiding after writing it. So it was like a more of a, like a journalistic expose, but I didn't find it to be like that great a book. I don't think I I didn't finish it because I just wasn't enjoying it um, as a reading experience. But he also wrote, the, I guess, the book that this series 000 was based on. So I said, well, that's only eight episodes, and I've had it on my list for a couple of years. And I'm, I'm, I'm running out of things that I can watch by myself. You know, The, the Righteous Girlfriend, there's, there's, there's too many things now that she wants to watch too, so you have to be a good streaming partner. Um, but uh, I watched 000 by myself and uh, in the course of like five days. Uh, really good. Really stylish. It basically tracks, and I don't know if it, it says season one, and obviously if it came out in 2020, th- if there was going to be a season two or more, uh, you know, the worst time to try and begin your next season of a show is like, you know, April 2020. So maybe there will be another show, um, especially with the success of Gamora on HBO Max, but 000 it basically just tracks a drug shipment between like the, 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 uh, the Italian... Uh, crime area, the Mexican uh, cartel stuff, and uh, United States shipping companies helping it happen. And very like stylish show. Really intense. Really intense, really scary. Makes me not want to go to Italy or Mexico, to be honest. And see how that's not racist because I picked a white country and a brown country. Um, I'm colorblind when it comes to crime. When I see people, um, uh, cutting off, uh, you know, heads and feeding them to animals and, and shooting women in the back of the head, um, I don't see race when it comes to that. I am colorblind when it comes to crime. I just see crime. Okay. Thank you, hero. But it's intense. It's, is very good. And it's really like stylish. It almost has like a, honestly, if I was to say, it, has, it feels like a, a good crime drama, like where the scripts are good and the acting is good, but directed by Michael Bay. And I, I mean that as a compliment because Michael Bay is visually fucking amazing. I'm going to go see that Michael Bay movie coming out with Jake Gyllenhaal next week. I'm going to go to the theater for that because I want to see a. I don't. The movie could stink. Uh quick recommendation, by the way, Michael Bay, underrated Michael Bay movie, The Island with Scarlett Johansson and Ewan McGregor. I love that movie. And I think it was like a 40% on Rotten Tomatoes or some shit. I love that movie. God, yeah, I, I highly recommend it. I think I've recommended Strange Days recently with Rafe Fiennes, also known as Ralph Fiennes. Um, but <laughs> but uh, this week's down, like, like, like under the radar, uh, recommendation is The Island, the Michael Bay movie, because when he makes an action movie as long as it's okay if he may, if the movie if the script and acting are c plus or better his visuals will make that shit an awesome experience that's why like the rock and the first transformers and even the honestly the first teenage mutant ninja turtles movie he did i really enjoyed because they met the minimum level of decent work and then his visuals are so good but when he makes a bad movie it almost seems comical it's like look at this like visually stunning piece of shit look at this ultra hd turd but when it the movie is decent or better his visuals end up making it like a really cool experience so unless ambulance i think that's the title but unless the reviews for that are like this is a humongous pile of dog crap i'm seeing that in the theater but zero 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 feels like a you know like if narco's was a season of Narcos was, was directed and shot by Michael Bay. I think that's a good, a good endorsement, but zero, zero, zero is really good. Amazon prime. Um, it took me two. I put it on the list cause it got good reviews. So I was like, Oh, I'll fuck, fuck. Yeah. I'll watch that. And then it just sat on my list for forever. Um, much like Queens gambit, which I, which I will be watching this month. Finally. Yeah. Like zero, zero, zero and Queens gambit basically have been sitting on my, my TV streaming services for two years. Um, but, uh, zero, 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 there's a, there's a recommendation. So hopefully, yeah, that was, that was enthusiastic enough. See, it's always nice to end on the reviews. I'm either funny or positive one or the other. And that's what you come here for. Not all the melodrama also, uh, attention listeners. Um, I think I'm going to change the name of this podcast. I forgot to that. Yeah, that's big news as well. I think I'm going to call it. I don't know. I think I'm going to put my name in it. I don't know if I should call it the JL jinx, uh, or the JL covan show, but I'm going to change the name from Righteous Prick for branding. And I'm going to need new artwork. My idea, if there are any artists out there who, who would be willing to, um, you know, I don't know how. I could comp- I'll compensate you. I have to own the rights, obviously, to the photo, uh, to the picture. But if you can draw a picture, I feel like the JL Covan something, the JL Covan show, or the JL Covan podcast, or the JL Covan, I don't want to say experience because that's Joe Rogan's thing, the JL, the JL Jinx. I don't know, probably should have my full name in it, but who knows? People can't spell my name anyway. Put an L in there, put an H in there, turn me into the guy who killed George Floyd. Anyway, um, I think a good logo would be a picture, two pictures, like two faces of me, like side by side, not side by side, but almost like, you know, facing 45 degree angles in opposite directions where one is me like laughing with tears, like a caricature of my face laughing with tears. And another one is the other picture is me uh, crying, sadly, with tears. I I feel like that would be so if anybody out there is interested in uh, doing some artwork for for uh, forthcoming uh, rebranding of the podcast, uh, let me know. Um, But uh, yeah, that's it, guys. So, yep, I got a bunch of shows to get tickets to. Um, The newsletter will go out um, most likely on April 14th. Uh, which will have ticket links to the DC area shows Boston is already uh, and Boston Buffalo and the special taping are already on my website. Um, It is my birthday month. So if you're feeling generous in this order, hope for Haiti, if you can give more than just a donation to hope for Haiti, order a cameo from me, if you don't need or want a cameo, buy some of my albums and mark down April twenty eighth for JL max plus prime. So thank you for listening. I think this was a pretty good episode. I, 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 I gave you everything in this one as you, as usual, you know, there's, there's highs, lows, and in between. So thank you for listening. Thank you as always for your continued uh, support. Um, however you support what I do. And, uh, just in case those, those kids from that Fordham show are listening. Uh, thank you. Thanks for, thanks for making the trip to the Bronx worth it. Uh, I, I got some good stuff out of that and, and felt better. I felt better, leaving that show than i did going in so as always audience uh and fans you do matter even though i gripe a lot because i have a lot of useless dead weight in my fan base but you guys aren't so thank you as always have a great week stay healthy stay safe and i will see you next tuesday